Welcome to Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage, the show that gives you a chance to hang with today's top contemporary jazz artists. I'm your host, Carl Brown. Don't hit skip. Don't hit skip. You are in the right place. This is Elsie, and I am taking over the Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage podcast today. I have Carl tucked away and he's sitting comfortably. Just kidding. Carl is here with me in the Podcast Town studio and has graciously agreed to allow me to host the show and to give you a peek behind the curtain, a glimpse into the man behind the mic. Carl is a tastemaker in the smooth jazz world. He is an experienced business owner and community leader. He's also the host of this show, the Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage Podcast. Carl, my friend, how are you? I'm good, LZ. Man, this is cool. This is kind of funny being on the other side, though. <laughs> it is. I'm on this side of the mic more than I'm on the other side. And yeah. so it's a, it's a different feel when, yeah. when you're not driving the reins and, exactly. and you're the guest. So be nice to me, LZ. Be nice. I, will. I can't make any promises, Carl. <laughs> I, I have a tendency to like to have a little bit of fun. So we'll see how That's that cool. goes. Fun is cool. Fun is always good. <laughs> so the first thing I want to do is I want to learn a little bit more about you, your background. Where'd you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in Milwaukee and um, fortunate to grow up with um, at a time where, you know, you could in the summertime, you could go outside and your parents tell you by the time the streetlights come back on, you better be at home. Right. But had a great had a great life growing up in Milwaukee. Great childhood, lots of friends, wonderful family, wonderful parents. And so, yeah, Milwaukee is my hometown. Now, um, a lot of times I'm a transplant. So we've been in Milwaukee, the Milwaukee area for um, about 15, 16 years. Okay. And I found that a lot of times when you grow up in a place, you don't really have an appreciation for how awesome the place is. Yeah. And so I'm just curious, are you one of those people that really, that like, do you understand how awesome of a place Milwaukee is? I do, but I think it's because I've lived in so many other places. You know, I've lived in New York City, um, in Manhattan. I've lived in Chicago. I've lived in Dallas, Texas. I've lived in Austin, Texas. I've lived in Minneapolis for a stint. So like I've lived in a lot of different places and I made a decision um, well, 20 some years ago, maybe coming up on 30 years ago to come back to Milwaukee after moving around so much. Right. And I will tell you this. I love Milwaukee because it's an it's a livable city. Right. Yeah. Like every city, it has its issues. Right. But like New York, like when I was in New York, I was in my 20s. Right. And that was a perfect time to be in New York. Right. I loved it. But I couldn't see being, you know, my age now and being in New York. Right. When I was in Chicago, I was in my 30s again. I spent like six years in Chicago. Absolutely loved it. You know, enjoyed it immensely. But it's just so much more livable here. You can always get tickets to a show. Can always get reservation at a restaurant. We do not have rush hour here. That's one appreciation I have. People have been walking talking about rush hour. I just laugh at them because we have rush minute. It is not rush hour here, you know, because we never have we never have horrible traffic here. So and and you can buy a house in this town without spending an arm and a leg. My wife has this vision of living moving to Napa Valley, and I tell her all the time. I said, baby. We can't live like this in Napa Valley, you know, so we, we need to appreciate what we got here. So. Mm-hmm. Now, what brought that on? The 
openness to try different things and new things because a lot of times people don't get outside of their block yeah yeah so so how did how did that happen how did you get to the point where number one you were open to 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 new things and new experiences um but how did that that happen did you you know growing up my parents used to always say that i was of my siblings i was the inquisitive one right i was always asking questions i was always wondering why i was always trying to peek behind the curtain right And for me, it was just a natural thing. Like, I'm the only one of my siblings who's ever lived outside of the state of Wisconsin, right? And um, it was natural. And I remember when I I was getting ready to move to Texas, you know, I went to graduate school in Austin. And my mom was like, oh, no, you don't need to do that. You don't want to do that. And I'm like, no. And my dad, who had been in the military, my dad was like, go. It'll make a man out of you. You know, that's what you need to do, right? And I was always more like that, you know. And so for me, a new experience was like I always craved new experiences. And when people, when I, I've done so many different things and I try these new things, like I never go into them. Well, <laughs> sometimes I just go into them thinking, oh, I'm going to try this. And I don't realize sometimes what I'm getting myself into. But I always figure out I'll be able to make it happen. I can figure it out. So, yeah, that's always just been my nature. So what did you study in undergrad? In undergrad, I studied um, journalism, which in, with an advertising focus, and social psychology, right? Okay. So I got a, a degree in each one of those. And then in graduate school, I studied, I had an advertising and marketing focus. And so that really ended up being, you know, what I did for a very, very long time. I, I owned an advertising agency in Milwaukee for about 20 years. You must be reading my notes because that was going to be my next question. Tell us about the the business you retired from. Yeah, yeah. So it's it was called Red Brown Clay Marketing, and we really were good. I grew up in, in the advertising business. I got my very first advertising job when I was in high school, actually, through a junior achievement program, selling TV time on the Fox, the, the Fox what was then the, the, the Fox affiliate in Milwaukee, right? And so my kid, my, my, my friends in high school are working at McDonald's and stuff, and I'm going and making presentations to radio stations and other business trying to get them to buy advertising time, right? And I just kind of fell in love with this notion of advertising. And so I spent my career, most of my career in advertising um, and worked for some really, really big ad agencies and got to a point in my career where I knew that the next evolution for me career-wise was to own my own firm. And so I, that's when I left Chicago. I came back to Milwaukee and I worked um, as the head of client services for an ad agency here for a couple of years. And there I met two people that I felt like we could work, we work really well together. And so we decided to strike out and start our own company. We did that for about 20 years and absolutely loved it, absolutely enjoyed it. But you know, going in, I, I've always been kind of a planful person too. Going in, the advertising agency game is a younger person's game. So my plan was to be out of the business by 55, right? And I exited at 54. So, But I was always planning to, to exit about that time. And so I was just early, able to exit a little bit earlier than what I planned to. But I absolutely loved it. We, did, we were fortunate enough to do work with you know, Fortune 100 companies, launching products all over the world, doing heavy, heavy strategic marketing, helping clients figure out how to go to market with products, helping clients figure out how they should not just market or do advertising for their products, products, but since we were so involved in the strategic side of the business, we helped clients with everything from pricing to distribution and all kinds of stuff. So it was, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. But I, 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 as much as I loved it, interestingly, I don't miss it because it was just time to move on. Mm-hmm. 
There's a lot we can unpack yeah. in, in yeah. just that statement. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious to know what kind of employee was Carl? Ooh, were yeah. you were you the type that punched in at nine and left at five? Give, give us a no, sense of, of what kind of what kind of guy were you? I will tell you, I used to work for Leo Burnett, which is if you know the advertising business, Leo Burnett is called the shrine in advertising. Like if you work at Leo Burnett, the, the saying is that you can go work anywhere else in the advertising industry. Right. And it was in Chicago. Right. I was usually at work 7 a.m. Um, most days. Maybe, you know, if I was getting in at 8, that was a little late for me, right? I was always, um, I was conscientiously nervous, right? And what I mean by that is this. I was always very conscientious, right? But I hate looking like I was unprepared, right? So I always was trying to think the angles, like, right, what's, well, who's going to ask me what question or, you know, what, what's going to happen today? Always trying to be prepared. I hate it not being prepared, right? And I was a very hard worker. I like to think that I was really good at my craft. I like to think that I was smart at my craft. Um, I needed to, you know, relax a little bit more probably. Like I remember one day, um, one of my clients used to be Allstate Insurance. And um, I, I, we were at a meeting, all of us from the agency at all, all States cam- Allstate's campus in Northbrook, Illinois. And something happened. A question was asked, and I didn't have the answer. And I used to have this briefcase that was just full. Like, it was heavy. It was heavy case. Like, I, so I, put, <laughs> I put every file in there when I went to client meetings because I didn't want to not have the answer. And i never forget getting back to the office, and my boss called me into his office. And, and he knew I was frustrated because I didn't have the answer that day. And he said, Carl, it's okay. You're never going to always have the answer, okay? That's all right. You did fine today. Give yourself a break, right? And so that's always been kind of me, too, always kind of, you know, kind of a person that um, was always wanting to be the best prepared if I could be. Got it. So what do you do before personal development? How do you get yourself to the next level? Yeah. For me, a lot of it is being a student of whatever I'm involved in. So, for example, you know, when I started the jazz festival, you know, I had to go to school on what's it like to promote a jazz festival and start a jazz festival. And, you know, what, you know, and I I paid the rookie tax because I made some mistakes. I learned some things along the way, but I still tried to be a student of it. Right. And then the other part for me, I've gotten to a point in my life where the biggest part about it for me is faith. You know, like I just, you know, like I, I try to make sure in my life, I am, I, I have given my life to God. God's will is the most important thing for my life, right? And so big decisions and small decisions in my life, I try to pray about them, and I try to ask God to lead me and guide me. And if it's something that God intends for me, uh, God open the door. If God, if this is something that I didn't cooked up in my head and that you don't have planned for me, take the desire away, please, right? But what I have found is, is that, you know, being letting God lead and being sold out to my faith and in, in my life and in, in how I make decisions that, you know what, you know, there's scripture that says Romans eight twenty eight all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Everything has worked out for good. Doesn't mean there haven't been valleys, right? There's been valleys and there's been really tough times, right? But I can see how those tough times have either changed me in a good way, gave me a lesson somehow, um, or, you know, put me on a path that, that is a better path than maybe the path I was on. Absolutely. A thousand percent agree. Now, hosting a festival, uh, you mentioned you learned some rookie rookie lessons yeah. uh, or you pay the rookie tax. And hosting a podcast are not easy things to do. Yeah. Give us some insight on, on how you how you manage it all. Yeah, I'll start with, with like, you know, the the podcast. Like the podcast was something that we started as a way to really expand the festival brand and start to build relationships with the great artists 
that we want to have at the festival, right? And to, to become more aware of some of those artists, right? And so with the podcast, you know, I, you know, I, ha- I listen to so many different podcasts and I tried to, it's particularly ones that are in the jazz genre or that are musically oriented. And I tried to understand what I liked and what I didn't like and what I felt was out there and what I felt was missing, right? And tried to kind of develop our podcast kind of around that, like what was what was authentic, one, which I felt was really important, right? Two, what was, I think, what would make it, make artists want to be a part of the show was another thing, right? And then three, what would appeal to people who are listening to the podcast, right? And I try to also be very prepared. Like I don't, like, I, I have notes for every episode of the podcast, right? And I have a process that I've developed where, like, you know, before the podcast, every single artist that I have on this podcast, I listen to their music. Like, I listen to as much of their music as I can possibly listen to, right? And I try to listen to it in different ways. I'll listen to it sometimes while I'm writing the questions that I want to ask them. I'll listen to it sometimes before. I'll listen to it sometimes on my way into the studio. I'll listen to it sometimes, you know, I my, drives my wife crazy, but I I don't sleep without music on at night. Every okay. night I have music on, right? And so I'm listening <laughs> to them, you know, they're, they're playing in our bedroom at night and stuff like that, right? But what I find is, is that by doing that, it allows me to have a better connection to the artist because these artists, like, their music is their heart and their soul and their, it's what comes from within them, right? And I'm able sometimes just by listening to pick up on some things. I think not just by listening, but I think by listening, I think by God's grace too, to pick up on some things that, that are part of who they are and ask some questions that sometimes the artist might say, oh, wow, that's a great question or that was really insightful that you got that out of my music. But I just want to be prepared. You know, I try to be prepared. So we're going to listen to Now Till Forever by Kirk Whalen. But before we play that song, where did your love of music come from? Yeah, I will tell you. It's so funny. As a kid, I used to sing in the church choir. I was a kid that always sang the solos, right? And a very funny story. I was a little bit older than this gentleman. There was another kid that was in the church choir who ended up being the kid who sang all the church solos after I kind of grew out of the children's choir. His name, and he went on to a very, very famous music career as a singer, which is still going on. That's Eric Benet, right? So we went to church together. But I was always a kid who sang in the church choir. And I had, as a young person, I had a little bit of a love-hate relationship with music because I enjoyed music. But my mother forced me to learn how to play piano, and I hated it. Absolutely hated it. Hated every minute of it. You know, like, my parents bought a piano for my sister to play. She was horrible. And they're like, we got this piano. Somebody in this house playing piano. And so I was the next up. And so she made me learn to play. And I absolutely hated it. But there was a day when I was in high school. My older brother was a DJ in high school. And he DJed on the radio station as well as parties and things. It was a Saturday morning, and both of our bedrooms were in the basement of my parents' house. And he put something on, and I heard, I was a freshman in high school, he put something on, and he was playing in his room, and we were across, down the hall from each other. And I heard it, and I went into his room, like, what is this? And it was David Sanborn's Voyeur album. And from that point on, I was like, whoa, this is, I had never heard anything like this. And so I was sold out on on smooth jazz, contemporary jazz from that moment on. And, uh, you know, music is just a constant with me now. Let's take a listen to Now Till Forever by Kurt Whalem. Now 
All right, that was Now Till Forever by Kurt Whalem. Talk about your relationship with music, right? Loving music and being in a relationship with music are different. Yeah, yeah. I have uh, um, music is my muse. It is um, it is my companion. Um, not um, my wife is my you know certainly the most important companion that I have. But you know, other than my wife, my family, my relationship with God. Music is the thing that I turn to, you know, like I, you know, like you just play, we just listened to Kirk Whalem. And one of the reasons Kirk is, Kirk is such a favorite of mine is that not only have I always loved just his music and his musicianship, right? But his music has seen me through some, some times in my life, you know, where sometimes things seem pretty dark or there were times when things were pretty happy, you know, where that music has seen me through, right? I find for me that with music, it allows me to escape sometimes. It allows me to be introspective sometimes. It allows me to go to a different place sometimes, right? Um, it soothes me sometimes. It um, pumps me up sometimes. Like, it's just been a constant for me. Like, I, I used to, when I, I mentioned I used to work at Leo Burnett's ad agency, and it was a hard place to work. It was a hard place to work. Like, you had to mentally get your mind right every day before you went to work. And I had this process where every day... I would sit on my couch. I'd get dressed completely. Coat, boots. It was in Chicago, so it'd be cold a lot of times. Coat, boots, everything. I'd sit on my I'd get dressed completely. I'd sit on my couch, and I'd play this one song every day to get me mentally in the right frame of mind. It was um, Sounds of Blackness song called Please Take My Hand. And the lyrics go, I yield to you, Lord. Please take my hand. Because I need that power to go in there and fight every day with these people, right? You know? <laughs> I, I can just about imagine. <laughs> yes. And so every day, every day when I went to work at that place, I would listen to that. So music has just been, you know, it's been such a great support for me. What do you love about music right now, um, just in general, the industry, artists, trends, things that, that you're seeing? You know, so I'm I'm sold out on contemporary jazz. I love all forms of music. But I, my wife and my daughter will tell you 80% of the time I'm listening to contemporary jazz, probably, right? Smooth jazz, contemporary jazz, whatever you want to call it. What I love about that genre of music is that I love the artists, like the artists that we get to talk to. And one of the artists joined us today, Gregory Goodlow, who's a good dude, but he's like the rest of the artists in the genre. They're good, decent people. They're just like, I'm, I'm so amazed at how nice these people are that I get a chance to talk to on the show, right? Like, I've only had two experiences either on the show or with um, our festival where there were artists that, you know, weren't nice people. And we've encountered a lot of artists, right? And so that's one of the things I love. The other thing, the thing that I love is the, um, I love how different music within the same genre is, right? Mm -hmm. Every artist is expressing a different thing, right? Because every artist is a different individual with a different set of, you know, goals and aspirations and experiences and all those things. And so every artist expresses a different thing. And that's really cool. Like I can go from one day listening to Gregory Goodlow and like really be like, man, that's some good stuff. Then I can go from Gregory Goodlow to somebody like Jared Lawson and be like, man, that's some good stuff too. <laughs> or I can go to, you know, somebody else and be like, man, that's good too. You know, and so everything is so different. And that's really cool. I love the variety of it. Where are some areas for improvement just overall in, in the genre, in, in the industry? I would say in the industry, like, okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put on my promoter hat a little bit. 
too, right? Concert promoter had a little bit too, right? So what I wish is that, one, people who come to concerts understood the value of what they see on stage, right? Because those people who are on those stages, they don't get there by happenstance. Like, it's not like you just wake up when they pick up guitar and say, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go be a musician. No, these people are like blood, sweat, tears, toil, you know, getting to where they want to get to, right? And there is value to that, right? And so, like, that's why I won't discount our tickets to our festival because I feel like there's value to what these artists bring to the table. That's another reason why, though, like, when we bring artists to our festival, I don't do house bands. House bands are a whole lot less expensive, right? But the difference with a house band is that when there's a house band on stage, oftentimes that headline artist is just meeting those people for the first time. And so instead of them being in their groove and in their zone doing what they do, not worrying about the, the, the band, right, they're pointing to the saxophone player, trying to tell the saxophone player to do something or pointing back to the keyboard player, and they're not being their best, right? When you have a band that's been together, that's played together, they know how to zig and zag with each other. They know how to, oh, he just played that key. I know where to go with this, right? And it just makes for a completely seamless show. Mm -hmm. I was at a show this weekend in Chicago, and there was an act, a really big name act, who had a house band backing him. And the same thing, like in the middle of the, the transitions weren't smooth, and in the middle, you know, after a song, he's trying to tell them, okay, now we're going to do X and Y and Z, right? And he's a great musician, right? Then there was another act that came, and they had their own band with them, right? It was smooth. It was smooth as silk. I notice stuff like that because yeah. I'm a detail person. Yeah. I don't know that everybody notices things like that, but I got to tell you, it, that's one of the things I, I, I think there needs to be more appreciation. The other thing that I find missing is like there in, you know, in, some, in contemporary jazz, some songs have lyrics and some song, songs don't. Don't, but I think being a lyricist is a missing art these days. Like, uh, you know, like the way I was listening to Kevin Whalem on the way over here in his rendition of Who Is He and What Is He to You, the Bill Withers song, right? And such a cool, fun, interesting story being told in that song. And the way those words are put together is important, you know? Um, I don't think people put words together like they used to put words together in music. And so, like, when you listen to a song like one of my, you know, another one of my favorites is As by Stevie Wonder, right? You know, as around the sun the earth knows she's revolving, as the rosebuds know to bloom in early May. You know, just as hate knows love's a cure, you can rest your mind sure. Like, though, that's magic right there. That's magic. And so being good lyricists is one of the things I think is missing. Got it. Let's listen to Chant by Foreplay.
All right, that was Chant by Foreplay. So tell us about the Fresh Coast Jazz Festival. It's kind of a big deal. I'm just saying this as a fan. It's, yeah. a, it's a big deal. Well, thank you. I, I, I Thank you. We, we've worked hard at it, and it was really born out of uh, a tragedy in my life that, you know, the Bible talks about God giving us beauty for ashes, and this is really one of those things where God took my ashes and turned it into something beautiful. Um you know, my I had um, when I started my ad agency, my parents invested in my company, right? And so I always wanted to do something to honor that investment, you know. And I said, if I ever get successful, I'm going to do this thing. And so I started a scholarship fund in my parents' names as a way to say, my wife and I started a scholarship fund in my parents' name as a way to say thank you for believing in in me and and investing in me, right? They would have done it just because I was their son, but I just, you know, like they, you know, and my dad was always my my business counselor, I would go to him and ask questions that I couldn't ask anybody else. And he was always there with, with, with the best answer. He would tell me to do things that always weren't, weren't always in my best interest, but it was the right thing to do. Right. So, um, you know, fast forward several years and my father was diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Right. And, um, when, um, we were, you know, he, we, he only, we, he lived, he lived for about nine months after his diagnosis. And in one of the very last conversations he had for me, he and I had, when he was giving me instructions for how to proceed in life, he said to me, he said, son, I want you to always remember to think of others more highly than yourself, right? And that just was like, that hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I'm losing my, I'm losing my hero here, one. And then he's challenging me, two. And then watching him go through that process, like, I, I don't know what everybody else's experience is, but I felt like. I was watching my father die, and my father was raising the bar as he was dying because he went through it with such grace and such dignity and such, I'll never forget taking him to his chemotherapy treatment one day, and he says to me, he says, I really like coming here because it's a, t- it's a chance to talk to people and s- give people a smile. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me, dude? Like, you're going through this, and this is, you're, like, you're thinking that positively? So those words really stuck with me. And a year to the date, pretty much, after I lost my dad, I lost my mom, who they were grade school sweethearts. And my mom and my dad were, my mom would tell you that my dad was her only boyfriend ever. And they were just, they, life, they were, they were two peas in a pod, right? So I had already started the scholarship fund. They both knew I had started the scholarship fund, but I felt like there was, I wanted to live up to that promise, that, that challenge that my dad gave me. And for years, my wife and I pondered, what can we do? What, what, you know, how do we do that? How do we, we knew that it was something that had to be connected to doing philanthropic work, right? But for years we pondered that, and we were sitting in the front row at the at a Kirk Whalem show, at the Indianapolis Jazz Festival. My wife leans over, whispers into my ear, "This is what we should do. We should start a jazz festival, and the proceeds should go to charity." Now Milwaukee is a city of festival; it has all festivals all throughout the summer, and Milwaukee didn't have a jazz festival, right? Didn't have a world class jazz festival. So we came back, we did our research, and we decided we're going to invest in this. We're going to put our money, you know, into this, and. We did, and with the whole express goal of doing philanthropic work that matters. So we have given away five scholarships to deserving kids going on to college. We have sent 50 disadvantaged kids to music camps um, and pay for their meals while they're at music camps. We um, have, by the end of this year's festival, we will have given grants to three schools in Milwaukee to support their music programs. We um, will, we're giving 75 backpacks to full of school supplies to disadvantaged kindergartners this year as a part of the festival. 
We have donated money to efforts to teach financial literacy to, to disadvantaged kids. And we have donated money to efforts to mitigate the effects of chemotherapy and radiation treatment on childhood cancer patients. And so it's, it's living that promise. And for me now, you know, losing my parents turned into this thing where we're touching lives and we're having a good time while we're doing it, right? It means the world to me. It's, 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 uh, it, you know, it's, um, it's one of the best things that I think that I've ever done in my life. Wow. It's so awesome to see how passionate you are about it and the why. Um, oftentimes I see people start things, whether it's a festival or a business, yeah. and they're doing it because they want to make money. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's really cool when it's really more than that. So it's yeah. so much more than the festival. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it. I mean, for us, it's a labor of love, certainly. And like for me, like I get such a kick. Like last the last event we had, we had given a grant to a school, and they had three of their jazz ensemble students come and play at the event. And that was just so cool for me. Or being able to um, see, I'm so looking forward to giving out these backpacks, right? Because a kindergartner going to school, like, this is a whole new a experience, A backpack is right? a big deal. It's a big deal. And yeah. to say that we're a little <laughs> part of that kid's, you know, that kid's life and that kid's evolution, right? will be so fun and so cool just to see just to see a smile on her face or to see a smile on the face of a of a mom or a dad who's struggling and who's like oh wow that just took some pressure off of me you know mm-hmm. i mean that's that's what's cool and i'm really excited about one of the things we're looking forward to doing next year is building out um, care packages and actually taking them to childhood cancer patients at Children's, Ho- Children's Hospital here in Milwaukee. I can't wait to do that because I just can't. I just want to be able to talk to those kids and see those kids light up and you know give them a moment of 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 you know of happiness or pleasure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the segments that you do on the show that I absolutely love. And so when you gave me the option that I could run the show how I want it, <laughs> I was like, I'm absolutely doing this next segment, which is called Bout It or Doubt It. <laughs> I, I, it's just one of my favorite segments of all the podcasts that I've listened to. Thank so you. we're going to do the segment here. Let's play the sound here. I started this body body. If you body, get them up. I mean, you body body. I mean, you body. We say you body body. I represent. I doubt it. All right. We'll spin the wheel and get your categories here. All right. Okay, bout it or doubt it, cream puffs. Because we are in the heart of festival season here, and yes. cream puffs are a thing for some people. But for Carl Brown, it's a big old doubt it. Big old doubt it. Big old doubt it. <laughs> like, I don't know. I do not get the fascination with cream puffs. Like, to me, they're bland. They don't have much flavor. I'm like, and everybody around here goes crazy for those things. And like, I just don't, I just don't know. I don't know. Thank you. I, I'd rather eat broccoli than a cream puff, man. Oh, wow. That's horrible. <laughs> so it's a huge doubt it for me. I agree. We tried them when we first moved up, yeah. right? You know, we want to, yeah, I, I, I doubt it as well. Yeah, it's a huge one for me. All right. <laughs> second one, uh, scary movies. Ooh, another big old doubt it for me. <laughs> like, okay, like, I know that so there's been commercials that have poked fun at it and stuff like that, but, like, you know, you know where Jason is. Like, I know where Jason is, you know? And, like, to me, they end up being more ridiculous than scary. So, like, I just could never get into them. Like, to me, like, that a scary movie. Now, 
give me a dumb comedy with just like crazy stupid jokes that Jimmy I'll do that all day long. Mm-hmm. But scary movies, bit doubted again. Bit so no no Candyman? No. No Freddy Krueger? No. I think the best one so supposedly scary movie that I have ever seen was is it Get Out? Is that what it's called? The um Jordan Peele. Jordan Peele. Yeah, that was a good one. Okay. That was a good one. But other than that, no, I'm 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 out. Got it. <laughs> okay. Uh last one, basketball. That's that's a big bout it. Big old uh, bout it. Okay. Too. okay. Big bout it. Yeah, I'm a I've been a season ticket holder for the Milwaukee, the world champion Milwaukee Bucks. I might Don't add. Don't forget that part. That's right. Um, I've been a season ticket holder since George Carl became the head coach many, many, many years ago. Right, and but I'm 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 a I'm an enigma wrapped in a riddle sometimes. Right, like I love going to the basketball games live, but I hardly ever watch games on TV. On like uh, basketball games on TV unless it's the playoffs. Right, football is just the opposite. I love football. I don't like going to the games live. I prefer to watch those games on TV. So, but I love going to the Bucks games. Love it. Love basketball games. Okay, okay. Well, let's listen to "As" by Stevie Wonder.
All right, that was As by Stevie Wonder. So a few questions that I have for you, Carl, before we wrap things up. What is something your fans, you have fans, I know you're a, you're a humble guy, but um, you're, uh, again, I can say this because I'm one of them, but you're kind of a big deal. Um, what's something your uh, my daughter would not, my daughter would not concur with that. She, she thinks I'm, she thinks I'm, 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 I'm old, I'm a nerd and all that kind of stuff, but I love her anyway. I love you, baby. I love you anyway. What's something your fans would be surprised to learn about you? That I actually toyed with doing competition barbecue. Yeah. So I I grew up, you know, my family is from Tennessee. And, um, you know, back in the day, you know, for African-Americans to own land was kind of rare, right? In my family, they owned land and they were hog farmers back generations ago. And my great uncle, my uncle Larnell, who is my guy, like he... When I was a kid, um, he, he lived in a town in, in a town called Racine, which is about thirty minutes away from Milwaukee. But when I was a little boy, he would come and pick me up, and he was he would always be cooking he would be cooking whole hogs and stuff, you know, on his pit. And he was a, he had a barbershop in his basement, and I would just sit with him and be with him for a couple of days. And I guess over the years, just through sitting there and learning, that's something that generationally just kind of got passed down to me. My dad was not one who ever wanted to cook on the grill, right? But I kind of took to it and really enjoyed it and really got to a point where I was kind of like, okay, I got to get good at this. I got to get this right. Like, I'll never forget the first time I tried to cook a brief brisket. It was like shoe leather. It was horrible. It was like, throw it away. It's not not edible, right? So that made me say, okay, I got to get this down. I got to get this right. And so I learned and I taught myself and learned and I got to the point where, and my wife, who was a foodie, and she has is not at all bashful about saying if it's good or not. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't go to barbecue restaurants anymore because she feels like my food is always best. We went to Franklin's in Austin, Texas a couple of years ago, which is like a famous barbecue restaurant. We got there like 7.30 in the morning, stood in line with a lot of people to wait for this restaurant to open at 11 o'clock, right? And there were hundreds of people in line that day, right? And we went to Franklin's, and we tried a little bit of everything. And afterwards, my wife says, yours is better. And so I was like, and so I toyed with the competition thing, but that's eh, just too much work. Got it. Got it. Well, you, you strike me as a, 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 you're in a time in your life where you're only doing the things that give you joy. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. I'm blessed to be in that time in my life where if it ain't fun, it ain't happening on my watch anymore, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, a, you know, like, you know, and I look, I've been I've been so blessed throughout my entire life, like. My advertising career was fun. You know, all the other things that I've done, you know, I've had some joy out of them. But right now, you're absolutely right. Like, I, I pick things to do that I enjoy doing. And I always tell people when I get a chance to speak to young people, I give them that same advice. I say, you know, find something you love. And if you love it, you will be good at it. And if you're good at it, the money will come, you know. So find something you love. So, so if you had the option to be able to fly... Or to be able to read minds, Ooh. which one would you pick? Ooh, wow, that is a good one. That is a good one. I, you know, like I'm, a, I'm gonna not answer this that conventionally. I think I would fly because I think flying is freedom, and I think being able to read minds would be too stressful because I don't want to know what everybody else thinking. <laughs> I got, I got enough junk between my ears. I don't need to know the junk that's between everybody else's ears. You know, so. I think I would just fly. I could just get from point A to point B quick. I think I'd be cool with that. Got you. <laughs> well, I think I agree. I don't want to know what's going on in people's yeah. head. 
What's your favorite vacation spot? Ooh. My favorite vacation spot is really anywhere in the Caribbean. Love Jamaica. Love St. Martin. Um, love the Bahamas, too. Um, but I just love that Caribbean lifestyle. It is, it is at a different pace, you know. And I've always been a little bit of a fast charger in my life. And so I used to annually make a pilgrimage down to the Caribbean um, around January or February when it's really cold in Milwaukee, right? And always allowed me to disconnect and always allowed me to just breathe in and, and exhale and really just enjoy people. But I always tried to get off of the beaten path. Like I didn't want to go where the tourists went. And I never forget once in, in Jamaica, in Ocho Rios, um, hiring a taxi cab driver and saying to him, take us where you hang out. I don't want to go to the tourist places. Take us where you hang out. He drove us up into the mountains, and we went to this little bitty bar and restaurant place up in the mountains, right? And it was the guy was out there literally killing and cleaning and preparing chicken that he was going to jerk that, that day. We hung out there for hours, and we, it was only about maybe about, I'm going to say six or seven folks that were all locals hanging out there. They were so hospitable. They were so welcoming. They, were, they treated us like we were their family. We hung out there for hours, ate with them, drank with them, laughed with them, talked with them, listened to some wonderful music with them. And, like, that's how I like to do it. I don't like to just go to the touristy places, you know. So. Got it. What are your three favorite albums of all time? Yeah. So, yeah, they, they all kind of have, you know, and this could change. Change. These are the top three. Like I have other <laughs> favorites that come in all the time. But um, Kirk Whalem's Gospel According to Jazz Volume Three is on that list. And I'll tell you, because that that album saw me through. Not only is it just fantastic music by Kirk and a compilation of wonderful artists, but that album saw me through some of the most challenging times in my life. When my parent, when my when my dad was ill, that was my go to. And it just comforted me and gave me, I felt like, grace and peace and all kinds of things that I needed at that time. Another one would have to be David Sanborn's Voyeur because that album was really my introduction to contemporary jazz or smooth jazz. And, like, from, from listening to that, I'll never forget. And the song was Wake Me When It's Over was the first song I heard my brother playing off of that album. And, I, and I'll just never forget going into his room and being like, what is this? And he showed me the album cover, and I'm just, like, sitting in there, like, whoa, this is really cool. Now, my brother was always was up on the music. He always had the best music. But Voyeur, David Sanborn's Voyeur, it had to be. And then Songs in Key of Life by Stevie Wonder, because that just is classic work. And it goes back to my comment about lyrics, you know, like, that album is, like, full of songs that just make you think. And, like, wow, how did he put those words together like that? And... You know, where'd the concept for that come from? And like I and I think I always felt like Stevie Wonder albums were not a purchase, they were an investment because they just they yield more benefit over the years to me. And so yeah, those would be my three. So you uh, you can invite three people to a dinner party. Who are you inviting? Yeah. And you know, I've I've thought about this question because it's a question I ask all of our guests. I thought about it a lot. And so I'm gonna take a little bit of host liberty here. So I would invite Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, right? Because I would want to, I just would want to be in that presence, right? I would invite Dave Chappelle. I know Dave Chappelle is taking some heat these days, but I think Dave Chappelle is an absolute genius. Like, 
he, to me, he's way, way, like, he is not a comedian, you know. Comedy just happens to be his platform. But he is deep, deep, deep. And when you listen to him tell a story, how he crafts a story, like, you, for me, I get a sense of just how deep that mind is. And plus, with some of the stuff he's done from a comedic standpoint, I'm like, who thinks of that? You know, like, who thinks of that? Like, so Dave Chappelle. And then the other one, it would be one of two. Either Barack Obama or Henry Kissinger. I'll tell you why. I want to know how the world really works politically, right? I don't really, like, I, there's a lot of, like, I spend a lot of time as a, as a meat cutter's apprentice going, I've worked my way through college as a meat cutter's apprentice, right? People don't really know how the sausage is made. And sometimes you don't really want to know how the sausage is made, right? <laughs> I know how the sausage is made literally, right? Yeah, Figuratively, yeah. I want to know how the sausage is made in terms of how the world works. Mm-hmm. I was always fascinated with Henry Kissinger when I was growing up. I was a kid when Kissinger was Secretary of State. But I was always fascinated with him. I thought he was gangster. Like, I thought, like, he never, like, when he spoke, it was always the same expression. And he spoke with clarity. And he spoke with, um, uh, with a, a level of definitiveness that just made me have respect for him. And then from Barack Obama's standpoint, like, I feel like, wow, well, he really knows how the world supposed to, he, how the world works because he was able to maneuver through the process where a lot of people didn't want him to be where he was, but he was still able to maneuver the process to still get there and then do it for eight years and, you know, do it in probably in some situations where there were some adverse things that he had to deal with. So those would be my people. I think that'd be a lot of fun to have that conversation. I'd be like taking notes like feverishly or, hey, what did you, hold on a second, let me get that down, you know? So yeah, that'd be fun. Got it. What is the rest of 2022 hold for you? Yeah, so we're really excited about um, putting about the upcoming Fresh Coast Jazz Festival. We're already planning 2023. We have some artists already booked for 2023 Fresh Coast Jazz Festival. And so we're really excited about that. I recently started a gig. Milwaukee now has a smooth jazz radio station, um, 102.5 WJTI. I recently started a gig as an on-air host on that radio station. So we'll likely be continuing that in 2022. And then one of the other things that I do is that I teach marketing classes for entrepreneurs, and I'm actually in the process now of getting those classes put up um, online so that people around the world can take my classes, my marketing classes. So so that's what I got going on for the rest of the year. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, it's been a great conversation, but I want to open it up. If the guests that are online have yeah. questions, if they want to add insight, uh, give them an opportunity to do that before we say goodbye. Great. Carl. Yes, sir. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, Barack Obama, Jesus Christ, and Dave Chappelle, huh? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> what an interesting combination. <laughs> but my question is, I heard that you uh, play piano. Yes. And you love music. So if you were a musician, what musician would you craft yourself into wanting to be like oh wow gregory that is a good question everybody this is guitarist gregory goodlow oh man who would i want to be like <laughs> i think i would have to go with one of my homeboys who is who is no longer here but i would say i'd probably want to be like al Jarreau as a musician and here's why 
Al was uniquely Al. There will never be another Al Jarreau. You know, like the way Al sang, the way Al's phrasing, his tone, his mannerism, everything was just uniquely him. But everything, like it seems to me like he never... He never just packed it in. Everything he did, he did with great passion, you know, and that's that's one of the things I love from him. So I try to craft myself after Al somehow. somehow. Wow, that's incredible. He's a great guy too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's my only question besides the Dave Chappelle. <laughs> that, that, that one threw you, huh? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, the combination, Dave Chappelle, Jesus Christ, and uh, Barack Obama. That yeah. Would be, uh, you see, I told I, I told y'all there's a lot of crazy stuff between my ears, right? So that might be I might have let y'all into some of the craziness going on in my head with that answer. Yeah, Th- thus you rather having the ability to fly. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah, I think he chose that one right. Yes, <laughs> yes. Who would want to read minds? That right. So <laughs> That'd be tough. Thank you so much, Carl, for letting me take over your show for the day. Absolutely. I uh, so appreciate the opportunity, and but we appreciate your time. I enjoyed it, man. Thank you, Elsie. All the best, man. That's our show for this week. Be sure to check out our website, freshcoastjazz.com, to sign up for our email list so you can stay up on what's going on with contemporary jazz. We'll see you next time on Fresh Coast Jazz Backstage.